Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We're on joy, so I'm going to try to skip some, some of my stuff to give you a, 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 a sermon on this theme, joy. Let's start with C.S. Lewis, okay? He says this, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. And everyone cold said, amen. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want, listen to this, if you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are a great foundation. Oh, they are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty squirting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, it, will, it uh, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. This is what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's got a little formula, and we're talking about joy, and he mentions it. If, this is what his formula says, get close to the source of joy, or get close to the source, and you will have joy. Get close to God, and you will be happy. Now, I know that sounds strange because I use that word happy and we're immediately like, I don't know about that. This little pop psychology sermon coming at me, Darren. You can tell me to think happy thoughts. Yes, in just a little bit, but I'll give you a reason later. I want you to pause for a moment because I want to show you today the overwhelming biblical evidence for the people of God to experience, be, and bring joy and happiness to the world. And that's what today's going to be about understanding the biblical theology of joy and happiness. You with me? Seven of you, we're going to take a journey. The rest of you, go somewhere in your mind. Stay uh, here. So the angel of the Lord announces Marisol read both in English and in Spanish. And how amazing is that? That we're, yeah, let's give some, thank you, Marisol. He says, he brings news of Jesus' arrival to some shepherds in a field outside of Bethlehem, and they say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The angel brings good news about a new thing God is doing. And this new thing is going to push away fear and bring joy. This news has something to do with joy to the world. This is the Christmas story. And last week I talked about how Advent themes of hope and peace and joy and love feel a little like a Hallmark channel. But in reality, they are attributes of Christians who learn the way of Jesus. And these attributes are the things that I believe in the future the world will be drawn to most. People will become running to church to meet these people who are possessed with peace permeating joy like they can't understand. What is this thing that permeates through the beings of these Christians when they get together? Why are they so non-anxious in crisis? Why do they carry this reservoir of joy when everything is working against them? That's what we're designed to be. This is what C.S. Lewis is getting at. So joy, I have a five-point sermon for you. Here it goes. We're going to go real quick through all of them. Number one, the central to the ministry of Jesus is joy. I'm going to make that point in just a second. Number two, God is happy. And that's my favorite point, by the way. Number three, God wants you to be happy. 
Number four, joy is a, cultiv- a cultivated way of seeing life before God, which I'll explain. And number five, I'm going to give you three ways you can train yourself in joy. You can do some disciplines to become happy. So definition of joy, uh, according to the scriptures, it is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. In the Greek, the word is to experience gladness. It's a cause of joy, the reason for gladness, delight. Um, other words to describe joy are happiness, satisfaction, contentment, jubilance. Words to describe the opposite of joy. Words we know very well in the last two years. Sorrow, depression, melancholy, seriousness, discouragement. Jesus invites you to be a person permeated with delight and jubilance. How does that feel? Central to the ministry of Jesus is joy. But let's, before I make that point, let me just make make a couple of observations. And I keep using this word joy and happiness together for lots of reasons. What you need to know is that joy and happiness are part of a grouping of 20 different words that can be translated. I'm sorry, a part part of a grouping of words that can be translated to over 20 different words. And throughout the Bible, the word for joy is connected to the word happiness. So we, we have this, this mistranslation, if you will, or this lack of understanding of what the Bible says. The Greek word makirios, markirios, is a word that is translated to happy, but English, most of the English translations in the Bible translate the word to blessed. Now, now hang with me because I want to make a point that the translation of words in our Bible affects our view of God, right? Unintentionally, did we know that this would affect how we see God, how we hear his voice and the tone at which he speaks to us. So if, if that word in Greek, markyrios, is uh, the word happy and blessed, well, where did that come from? Well, most translations of our Bible use the word blessed because the King James translation, translated over 400 years ago into the English, uh, used the word blessed, which at the time, it meant happy and prosperous, not hashtag blessed like we think of today. But blessed today has a more religious connotation to it, doesn't it? And due to this interpretive tradition, it, it kind of stuck around as the thing that Jesus would say to people. So I want you to think about this. If you, if you ask scholars today, if you read scholars today, most scholars would say a better modern translation of that word is happy. Now pause for a moment. Let's look at some of the verses that describe Jesus's ministry. We already see that when the angels announce the, the arrival of Jesus, it starts with joy to the world. Matthew chapter 5, the entire Beatitudes, the blesseds, blessed are the poor in spirit. That could be translated just the same as happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he says, now that you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. Does this change? The way we interpret this verse, does it change that for you? Remember, this is Jesus washing his disciples' feet, the last teaching of a rabbi for his disciples. These words hold value and weight. And what he says is, if you obey my commands, essentially saying all my commands, if you do these things, you will be happy. 
I like the word blessed. It keeps things neat and tidy in the religious compartment of my life. But he's saying, if you obey my commands, you will be happy. Does that, does that mess anyone else up? Is it, have you guys read this before? You seem like you're all like, yeah, this is normal. I get it. <laughs> this messed me up. Doesn't it? I mean, when you start, because this is not the image I have of Jesus or the Father when I grew up. We'll get to that in a second. So if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. This is John 15. I love it. It's a great abiding in Jesus talk. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy, you skip too soon, uh, my, your joy <laughs> may be complete, perfect. It, it illustrates the point. My the other way you can translate this, according to the scholars, is my happiness will be in you, and your happiness will be complete. If you were to do a survey and ask your friends, what is the thing you want most out of life? What will they say? I want to be happy. You think about this? That the creator of the universe, in his last teachings to his disciples, is giving you a key to the thing that everyone is longing for in their lives. Yet most of us as Christians are walking around depressed, anxious, angry, and bitter at everything going on in the world. We're designed to be filled with joy and happiness. This deeper level of contentment that comes from the Lord. Let's just keep a couple more verses. Luke chapter 15. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing, more joy in heaven. There's that word. Uh, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the, the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus is saying there'll be joy in heaven when one person repents. Happiness in heaven. Isn't that a beautiful image? Luke chapter 4. I really want you to turn there if you have a Bible. Um, Thank you for following along. Luke chapter 4. Because this, this is Jesus' like, uh, inaugural address, right? So this is his framing of his ministry. This is a serious passage of Scripture. Luke has been, uh, tells us that Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's, he's baptized in the Jordan, filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tested. He's, um, he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Luke. And then now he begins his public ministry. He goes to a synagogue. He's handed a scroll in Isaiah. He's, he goes to Isaiah 61 and he frames his ministry. And this is what it says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it goes on, right? He rolls it up. Now, anytime you're reading in the gospels, and there's a quote of the Old Testament, you shouldn't just stop, you shouldn't continue reading the Gospels. You should pause, look at that reference, and go to the whole chapter that it's referring to. Whenever Jesus or somebody quotes the Old Testament, they're not quoting just that section. They want you to be drawn into the narrative of what they're quoting. So Isaiah 61 goes on. And so you have to have the whole Isaiah 61 as the framework. And look at what happens. All these people, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, 
It says, and then it goes on in Isaiah 61, in verse 3, it says, to comfort all who mourn, those who mourn, and provide those who grieve. So now you have the mourning, those who are grieving. And he says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Jesus takes this passage and says, this is what I'm here to do. I'm going to take the oppressed. I'm going to take the poor. I'm going to take the weak, the lost, the blind, the suffering, those who are being crushed by empires, those who are grieving loss and in mourning. And what happens when the Messiah comes is there will be an overflow of joy in their life. How do we miss this? An oil of joy? Who gets the oil of joy? The oppressed, the blind, those who have suffered. They will have an overwhelming flow of happiness. You get the point? Luke begins with the arrival of Jesus, joy to the world. And if you go to the end of Luke's gospel, look at what happens. He's going to bring joy to the world, to these people. And it says at the very last couple of verses in the gospel of Luke, when they, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he's with his disciples. It says he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left and it was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Joy is a theme. It is central to the ministry of Jesus. Point number one. Point number two. God is happy. He's in a good mood. This is so important for us to understand because when you look at Jesus, you look at the Father. You remember this? Jesus is with his disciples and they're like, no, show us the Father. He's like, come on. Come on, Timothy. Come on, Thomas. It's his name, Thomas, not Timothy. Come on, Thomas. You know the way. If If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. In other words, the basic Christian message is this. God became a human being in Jesus, and in Jesus, we see what God is like. And according to the Gospels, you see Jesus feasting and celebrating and laughing and making jokes, according to the original text, playing with kids, being interruptible, never in a hurry, and as Dallas Willard describes Jesus in one word, relaxed. When Hebrews sets out in the, in the, the letter of Hebrews uh, to describe the Messiah, Jesus, there's this phrase, and they quote the Old Testament. It's verse 9 of chapter 1 of Hebrews. It says, is speaking of Jesus, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Meaning the people who knew Jesus best said he was incredibly joyful, happy. This means as Jesus gives us a window into what God is like, as the image of God in human flesh, that God is joyful. God is happy. Why is this so important? Why does this matter so much? Because how you think of God will shape who you become. Trevor Hudson says, it would seem that we shape our picture of God and then that picture of God shapes us. So many of us, the majority of us carry a distorted image of God around in our hearts and heads. This God in our heads is made in an image that is broken by flawed biblical, flawed teaching in the church, by our human experience with our parents, 
By so many reasons, we carry a distorted image of God in our hearts and heads so that when we approach this God, we don't see him as a joyful, jubilant, benevolent, kind, gracious, never-ending, never-ceasing, loving kind of being. We see him as angry. We see him as disappointed in us, waiting for us to make that mistake, waiting to criticize the mistakes we made again and again and again. And so when we approach this being with that image in our hearts and heads, our our prayers are anemic. They're flawed and failed because we can yet barely get our, our excuses out of our mouth before we come to this God who is waiting for us taking off, running towards us, that kind of love with joy and jolly. Do you have that image in your head? That joyful being that just can't, the one, like I have an image, when I think of joy, this is what I think of. Um, Well, I have lots of images, especially from this last week, because I have little kids and there's some moments of great joy. But I have this image of years ago, I was working out at a 24-7, a 24-7, 24-hour fitness. I don't even remember what it's called. And I was like on the stationary bike or something. And there was this woman on another stationary bike who was, um, she was just on the bike. She had her headphones on and she was dancing on the bike, like singing out loud. Like everyone could hear this woman. And she was going hard at it on the bike, doing like this crazy dance as you do, as you're like on the bike doing the thing. But she's just like got her headphones blasting. And like, I got Eminem on or something. I got something that's like, din, 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 you know, and I'm like doing my thing, but she's doing her thing and her thing is spilling over to my thing. And I'm like, what is her playlist? Cause I want to be going, I want to be doing it like this. I don't, I don't want to be doing it like this. And so much of our life is this with God. Am I right? And there's, there's people in this world that have this right understanding of God and it spills over and offends our view. And you have to understand that God is happy. He's in a good mood. And that image shapes who you become. You see, this God made you in his image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect loving relationship, joyful being saying, we're going to make mankind in our image and in our image and like this. And we're going to set them off as a mirror to reflect our existence and being and nature into the world. And one of those things that you're supposed to reflect into the world is joy and happiness, not trying to fake joyfulness, but to live with this deep centered reality that your being is unshakable. That no matter what comes at you, there is a divine perspective of what life is really like in that Trinitarian reality we've been invited into. That divine dance, perichoresis, that God invites us into. And so he wants us to not only give us access to the source himself, but he wants us to reflect his image into the world. And I can tell you, God's not angry. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So much of us say, oh, God so loved the world that he gave me a bunch of rules to follow. Am I right? God so loved the world that he gave me this strict regimen that I have to follow to get it right before I really get this thing called Christianity. Brothers and sisters, you have to uh, 
kill the idol of that false God in your life and accept the fact that he's happy and he's in a good mood. And God desires you to, for you to live out of his image and likeness. Therefore, God wants you to be happy. And so joy is a sign that our hearts are functioning the way God intended them to, with harmony between our desires and decisions along with our action. So joy, biblical joy, is this condition It's not just a feeling. It's not less than a feeling or an emotion, but it's more of a perspective, a way of existing where your heart, mind, desire, and actions are aligned with God's reality for you. And we'll talk about how you get there in a second. But that's the the point, which is why Henry Nouwen says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Can I get an amen on this? Okay, so what is he saying? The problem is we don't treat joy like a choice in a situation. We treat joy like the world does and as, as like something we can consume, hoping that this thing will give me this feeling or this desire, this longing that I have rather than it being something I can step into and participate with with God. Let me explain what I mean by that. So Henry Nouwen says you have to choose it. Oftentimes what we're doing is we're choosing or searching for joy slash happiness in the wrong places. Like we settle, like I talked last week about how we settle for counterfeit forms of peace. The world clearly settles for counterfeit forms of joy right? What that means is we have learned to trust. Remember, that's a key word for understanding how to live as a non-anxious presence in the world, trust. We've learned to trust the world and how the world brings happiness. And what you have to understand is the world is a liar. And when you follow the way of the world, it will lead to self-pleasure, self-gratification, which leads to emptiness. In other words, there's a hunger inside of you to quote Snickers. (laughs) And every human longing that every human has ever had. There's a hunger in your soul. And we try to fill that with all sorts of things, relationships, possessions, meaning, significance, pleasure. We could just make that list. Put your idol here in in the insert. So we're, we're designed as humans to long for something greater than ourselves. So we, we pursue, we search after all these things, thinking that that will fill that space in our souls that God has put there for himself. The only way you can be satisfied is through relationship to God. Jesus is designed to fill that space. He gives us his presence Not to one time satiate that false desire, but to train us to abide in a life with him. And when you begin to do that, you have to um, uh, create a mindset of partnership with God and beginning to retrain your mind from the world to the way of God. This is why Paul will say, put off your old self and put on the new self, which has been transformed. He'll say, uh, 
do not be formed to the, or conform to the patterns of the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will be able to please, the, know the will of God, basically, and do whatever pleases him. So the idea is that as we say yes to Jesus and walk out our faith, we have to adopt a new way of thinking about life. And I want to tell you that the world is training you for despair. The world, especially today, the world trains us for a critical spirit, complaining, advice-giving, bitterness, anger, offense, cynicism, unforgiveness. This is the trap of the enemy. And there are platforms that you participate in that are cultural liturgies for offense, cynicism, and a mindset of unhappiness. You don't need to be on Instagram very long to feel like you're not enough. There are algorithms that, are no, that know you better than you know yourself, that have, been, uh, that have been retooled by the most sophisticated thinkers in the world, and I would say engineered by Satan himself, to keep you addicted, unhappy, and disappointed in life. Which, by the way, news, I'm going to let you know, we're going to experiment in 2022 as a church. We're getting off social media. So we won't have an Instagram for 2022. We'll be off Facebook mostly. Um, and we're going to invite the church. And for those of you that can, I know some of you, this is how you, how you generate income. And there's, it's way more complex for a lot of you. But most of us, this is a, a place of just uh, where our um, ideas are being formed and shaped in the way of the world. And we have to do some radical uh, severing from that. So we're going we're gonna to do something crazy, which seems wild today. It'd be like not having you know, a website as a church, which maybe we have to do that someday. But I believe the Lord wants us to do something as a community to pursue him in radical ways. Because if you were to ask me when we started our church, what's the greatest threat to discipleship? I would never say your phone. But I would say today, without a doubt, that your phone is your greatest threat to your faithfulness to Jesus today. And so let's eliminate anything that gets in the way for the sake of what? Pursuing and re-falling and falling in love with Jesus again. That's what 22 is about for us. 2022 will be about recentering our focus and attention on Jesus. Going back to this, um, what, I, what I want to tell you is that unhappiness can be a self-perpetuating state of mind. Unhappiness can be a self-perpetuating state of mind. This is what Henry Nouwen's getting at in regards to joy. What do I mean? When, when you spend your life looking at the negative, you're going to become a negative person. Do you know this? Now, some of you are bent towards um, uh, f- fixing things for the better. Let's say, say it that way. You, are, you have eyesight <laughs> that sees what's wrong and your awareness of that can produce something better. Do you get what I'm talking about? Because to say to be critical is wrong is not wrong at all. But a cynical heart or a, a perpetual state of criticism is wrong. Like to, to point out flaws and to make something better, to recognize that there are, there are things in your relationships that need to get better, that's not a bad thing. But you can develop, you can cultivate a mindset of worry, of anxiety, of looking for the things that are going to go wrong. When you live in a perpetual state, uh, that thing over and over again, you see that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and you're negative and you're looking out of fear for what's going wrong, you will see it every single time. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Like, give you an example. A few years ago, I was literally at the happiest place on earth. I was at Disneyland. Right? It was the first time I got to go to Galaxy's Edge. And I was with Ezra, who it was his first time in Galaxy's Edge. And we're both Star Wars fans. So there we are, standing in line under the Millennium Falcon. I mean, can you believe the jubilant joy that's coming out of my being? But there was, there was a time when, when I, I'm this tall, and Ezra was this tall, and his hand was about eye level to my, my area down here, and he would just hit me not unintentionally, and I was like going down for the count multiple times. It was just, and it got to the point where after this fifth and sixth time, I'm like, Ezra, stop hitting me, <laughs> trying to get my attention. I became agitated and irritated, and, and it, it got to the point where I really was looking for all the ways things could go wrong at the happiest place on earth. And there I was. It wasn't just one moment. It was a, a collection of things. And all of a sudden, my entire mindset, disposition, the tone of voice I had towards my wife, she said, are you hungry? What's wrong with you right now? <laughs> yes, I'm hungry. That also is wrong. <laughs> the Dole Whip float line, line is too long. And my churro wasn't long enough. I don't get this or whatever. <laughs> I didn't say any of that. But I noticed that I had a sort of a radar for things that could go wrong. So you could be in literally an environment of joy and miss it because of your mindset. And we do this with our spouses. We do this with our families. We do this with our coworkers. We do this with our jobs. We do this to our pastors. We do this to our house churches. We do this when we're driving our cars. We're waiting for that person who didn't intentionally cut you off. And you think this was done on purpose because that was your lane that you just moved into 20 seconds before and you are now entitled to that space. And this person represents everything you hate in this world and they come in and all of that heat comes out because you were waiting for it because you've cultivated a mind that can only see those things. Point number four, joy is a cultivated way of seeing life before God unfold. It's kind of like a flywheel, that the more you turn it, the more inertia it gains until everything, it, it, it turns with a little, until eventually it's just turning with very little effort at all. Joy becomes more than a goal, more than an ideal, more than an emotion. It's not about, I gotta be more joyful today. It's not that. It's something bigger. It's a cultivated way of seeing life before God. And it means that you can be trained in joy. You can be trained into this way of being. And so, it, yes, it will take some practice. Yes, there will be some disciplines. Yes, there will be some changing of mindsets, which, believe me, I just need, need you to know, I need it more than most of you. Because it's very easy for me to be self-critical and then the way I'm so critical of myself becomes the way I'm so critical of everyone else around me. And the people that suffer the splash zone of my criticism are my little kids and my wife. So we, we have been formed in the way of the world and we have to now intentionally counterform ourselves in the way of Jesus. And, and, and I have some scientific evidence to back this, okay? So there's a study that was done at Berkeley uh, with those who were dealing with depression and anxiety. 
And there were three groups that set out to test this theory about the brain and the neuroplasticity that takes place in your, 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 um, your brain. And things like worry, anxiety, and gratitude and happiness. And what they had is three groups. One group was to write out their negative feelings about how they were experiencing life. They were to write that down for a couple of weeks every day. The other group was given a neutral activity. It didn't really matter. And the third group was given, a, a, they were called to write gratitude letters every single day. So what they discovered in four weeks is that the group that decided um, to write gratitude saw significant mental health improvements over their anxiety and depression by just writing um, gratitude state, uh, letters and by seeing a counselor. The people that saw counselors as well that wrote negative thoughts got worse, as you could imagine. And they actually, one other study talked about their physical health got worse. They were more likely to get sick during that time period than those that were writing lists of gratitude. Interesting, here's what it says. Expressing and harnessing gratitude has shown to have the ability to rewire your brain to ultimately eliminate anxiety completely. The study says that anxiety and gratitude cannot exist in the brain at the same time. This is through the process of plasticity, which studies have revealed with the right action and thought pattern, you can rewire your brain and eliminate those anxious triggers. Essentially, what they're saying is that gratitude wires your brain towards happiness. Now, this is where a whole lot of pop psychology comes out, you know, power of positive thinking. But at the end of the day, it's, there's a scientific brain scan study saying that when you live in a perpetual state of unhappiness and a cycle of anger and bitterness and resentment and cynicism, that when you live in that cycle, it will wire your brain towards those things. When you choose to live with gratitude every day, it will rewire your brain towards joy and happiness. Anyone here want to be a little more joyful? Anybody want that joy? Now, we're talking like superficial level. Yeah, it would be great to be more happy, right? But on a deeper level, how do we grow in the biblical sense of joy that we're getting at? And I'm going to give you three ways to train. Um, and so here's what I want to do. I want to give you three practical ways that Scripture helps us grow in joy. Are you with me? So number one, develop an awareness for joy. What I would like to say, what I like to call joy radar. In the same way that you can develop a radar for things going wrong, you can develop a radar for joy. Let me give you an example. Psalm chapter 65, verse 8, it says this. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. The psalmist is saying, uh, well, let me ask you, where does morning dawn? Go ahead. You can say it loud. Everywhere. That's right. Good job, Susie. Morning <laughs> dawns everywhere. What is the psalmist saying? There's joy everywhere. That God has, has hidden joy all around us, but are we aware of that reality that God is birthing forth in creation with a sunrise and a sunset? Or have we become dimmed by our phones, by our pain, by our past to miss the divine revelation of joy all around you? Joy is not someplace else. It's hidden. It's here. It's in our midst. 
It's built into the fabric of creation. The whole earth is filled with joy. Joy is present in creation. You can find it if you have an awareness for it. So before you start talking about all the things that went wrong today, start with joy. Where did you see a gift present in creation and start with the good and develop joy radar? Hashtag joy radar. You with me? Let's make it famous. As you get off all of social media, make it famous. You just, just text people. They just won't know, you know. It'll go viral through text because that's a thing. Number two, ask for joy. Ask for joy. This is the psalm I, wanted, I felt like the Lord wanted to give as a gift today. Psalm 30, verse 11, it says this. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. God gives joy as a gift, as a grace. The word joy is connected to the word gift in the Greek. He literally gives it to his people. And what it takes in this psalm, I love it. He takes wailing, right, and turns it to dancing. Have you heard somebody wail with grief? Have you been a person who's wailed with grief? Could you imagine the physical utterances of wailing and the things that cause that kind of pain and then God doing something in you to where now you're dancing? Have you purchased clothes to grieve the loss of a loved one? A sackcloth is a garment of death. And he says, no, 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 no. I will clothe you with joy. Some of you have a closet full of death from this last year. He's saying, no, it's time to put this away. I'm going to clothe you with joy. This is what our God does today. He gives us joy. He clothes us with joy. Whatever happens to me, I can come to understand that reality is with me. God is with me. I can wear joy in my suffering. Whatever comes at me, I can hold on to the space that God has given me that can walk me through the worst kind of grief, the valley of the shadow of death. And it might be a long valley, but he can clothe me with a perspective of reality that he's with me. I love what 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul says to the church, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. There it is again. God can give joy. That there is actually, I've seen this, there's a connection between joy and suffering. And joy transcends circumstances. You can be going through trials and experience joy. I have a friend uh, who's a gardener. His name's Jim Eaton. And Jim has been a house church pastor. Um, he's been a leader. And in our church, he's helped us uh, build this community. In 2015, he helped give us some wisdom and consulting. He is an extraordinary um, uh, man. And I'm so grateful for his friendship. And he is suffering right now. He's being treated for cancer, and he's in, he's in Texas being given a very intense chemotherapy treatment. 
and I get his daily journals from Caring Bridge. And then today I woke up and I read, I read it every day and I read um, his, in, his, his, his journal today. And actually, can I just do this so you see, because it's going to, can you put the picture up? This is Jim Eaton. This is what he, he posted this. Oh, you see it. Okay. So this is Jim. But this is not the Jim I know. This is a new Jim because he just talked about this. And I want to read what he wrote. And, and you tell me what it looks like to be in the midst of serious crisis. And tell me what is coming out of this man. So it says this, overall good news today, blood labs and MRI results all show no major issues with pressing forward with the chemo cycle number two next Tuesday, which also will be an outpatient in nature uh, for the three days following. And we will now be coming home to Long Beach on Sunday, December 19th until Wednesday, December 29th. Going uh, to be sporting a new look, as you can see, and likely won't be able to attend non-family gatherings due to immune system, my immune system. But it will be so good to be home for Christmas, feeling blessed beyond measure and wishing you all a wonderful weekend ahead. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. When you see this and you hear this, do you think he has something inside of him that's permeating something that you cannot even imagine that you can be losing your hair and dealing with the threat of life-threatening cancer and be passing out emails to friends that make you realize how good God is? He's a testimony of joy. And we all are going to pray for him right now. So Lord, would you bring healing Ones would pray out your best prayers to our brother, Jim. Lord, we pray healing over Jim's body, that he would be cancer-free through this process, that you would strengthen his immune system, that you would give him everything he needs for a full recovery in the name of the resurrected Christ Jesus. And our church garden says together with a passion, amen. amen. So you can give, you can receive joy. Last thing I want to say. Um, is you can, you, if you want to grow in joy, if you want to train yourself in joy, let me just tell you this, you got to express joy when you have it. Because joy is contagious. When you got it and you're on that bike and you're doing your thing, there is this overflow spilling on top of you. Next thing you know, person next to you is like, I want to get on this playlist. That's what the psalmist says in 28. He says, praise be to the Lord for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. There's that word again. And he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. How does a heart leap? It skips. How many of you have experienced that kind of experience of joy when you lose all sense of the world around you? Do you know what I'm talking? It's when you're eating that food with your family and it's moment is perfect and you start doing that dance over that burrito or whatever it is that gives you joy. Joy cannot be contained and it must be expressed. This is why, by the way, throughout history, when there's a move of God, and revival breaks out almost everywhere you go, there is this sense of joy on the people of God. When revival breaks out, laughter often accompanies. Laughter. Have you ever experienced the presence of God through laughter? I remember when my wife and I were just married. We're a little bit over a year into it. Were we married? We were married. Yeah. You tell me. You correct me if I'm wrong. A few months into our relationship, going through some hardships, she was. 
Um, and we were at Rock Harbor, and I had no thoughts of really, we weren't planning the, the church yet. And we were sitting in one of the venues called Shark Club. Some of you might have remembered that little tiny venue called Shark Club. And there was worship. And Rock Harbor wasn't a space that was, you know, creating space to, oh, we're going to pray for the sick and minister in the Holy Spirit. It wasn't, they were open to that, but it wasn't, it never, they never really practiced those things. And I remember this moment where, you know, worship is going, and, and my wife kind of sits down, and she's laughing. Like, my wife's serious, um, very aware of how things need to get better, um, which is a gift. She's an Enneagram 8, which finds intimacy and conflict. I'm a 3, which runs from conflict. No, I don't run from conflict, but she was there laughing, and then the worship stops, and they start doing... The, they start doing the announcements and she's laughing. She's laughing. I'm looking at her going, stop. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, cover up, go outside. And she literally doesn't know what to do. The Holy Spirit, as a gift, in trial and suffering, gave her joy that was being expressed through laughter. There was a moment a couple years ago at our Empowered Conference with Julian and Katya and my, we were sitting right over here, and it was our last Empower Conference, our last Sunday before COVID. So it was BC. It was our last Sunday BC. And, and we're in the last Saturday night worship, and Katya kept, kept, how many of you were there? Katya kept going, whoa, whoa. And it's like these crazy charismatic people are like, ah, like she's preaching. It's like, whoa, and I'm just judging the heck out of her. Oh, uh, you're weird. I want the Holy Spirit, but I want it packaged neat and tidy. And she stops and she's like, what you need to know is that happened because I went through this really hard time with God and he began to minister to my soul and, and it kind of led me to a place where I had to release control. Next thing I know, Alex is laughing. Next to him, what the heck are you doing, girl? We already got rid of this. She starts laughing, but it's, it's uncontrolled. Were you there? And next thing you know, the woman behind us who just lost her father, in serious grief, she starts laughing uncontrollably to the point where she gets up and she gets on the floor laughing. And then Katya points out that it's the pastor's wife who's laughing, which gives permission. And next thing you know, there's laughter in the church. And it's not like, oh, we're trying to make this thing happen. God gave us this grace of joy the week before everything shut down. In the midst of deep grief with a father no longer here on earth, but with us in the present. And this woman's grief is being met. And joy begins to, to spread and it's contagious. And that's what happens when we open ourselves sometimes to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it comes with releasing of that pain and tears. Sometimes it's just this uncontrollable joy met with laughter. And I just want to say this. I believe God wants to do it again. I believe he wants to heal you with the gift of laughter in this season. Where Christmas is marked as a season for so many of us of longing, despair, loneliness, loss, the reminder of who's not here. And I believe in the midst of all those real circumstances, reality, all those feelings you've carried, the, the Holy Spirit wants to give you a gift of joy. Can we stand together? Thank you for listening. 
For more information, please visit garden.church.